Good morning, church. It is, it is a pleasure to be here this morning to preach the word to you. We've been singing, as Kevin mentioned, we've been singing his praises. We've been proclaiming the gospel and uh, through our song. We've heard the gospel proclaimed in our communion time, and now I get to, to preach the gospel to you. And so if you would, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And if you're new with us, you, you heard Jeff mention this, it's, uh, even though that you have various pastors or preachers standing in this, in this pulpit, we are committed as a church to walking through books of the Bible, verse by verse. And, and we're going to be finishing a, a marvelous section this morning in, in verses 13 and, and 14. We've been walking through verses 3 through 14 where we're seeing our spiritual blessings that are, that are found in Christ. And as I mentioned a, a few weeks ago, in verses thir- 3 through 14 are one long run-on sentence, 202 words in the Greek text in which Paul declares the spiritual blessings that are, that are ours in Christ Jesus. And, and these spiritual blessings lead to an overflow of gratitude and praise to our God for His glorious grace. And that, that word grace means unmerited favor. And, and, and so we, as a, as a church, as we look through Ephesians chapter 1, really at verses 3 uh, through 14, but, but in, in verses 13 and 14 this morning, that's my desire, is that, that we would have this understanding and, and this, this attitude of, of praise because God is worthy to be, to be praised and, and, and that we would glorify His name. These spiritual blessings that these are things that we do not deserve, we do not earn, they are not something that we choose, but that, that God chose to bestow on us before the foundation of the world. In verse 4, he says that. We were talking in our community group this week, we were going over Jeff's sermon last week, and we were discussing this, this idea that our, our salvation is, is of God and that how He just bestows these, these truths on us, and he, he bestows these blessings on us. And, and I asked this question of our, our community group. I said, when you think of your salvation, after discussing verses 3 through, at that point, verse 11, what do you think about your salvation? What, how does that make you feel? And I, I, I went through our group one by one, and I asked them, and, and pretty much everybody answered the same exact way. I'm humbled. I'm humbled to think that, that God would elect me before the foundation of the world, that He would predestine me to, to adoption as, as sons, that He would set His seal on me, that, that he, would, he would adopt me. He would give me an inheritance. I mean, you go on and on and you just think how glorious our, our God is for His wonderful grace. And as we've been looking at these, these texts this last couple of weeks, we, one of the things I, I talked about is verses 3 through 14, there's, you see this, this Trinitarian formula. In verses 3 through 6, you see the Father's plan of redemption to the praise of His glorious grace in, in verse 6. You see the Son purchasing that redemption in, in verses 7 through 12, through His blood to the praise of His glory. And then we're going to look at today, verses 13 through 14, the Spirit protecting or securing that redemption to the praise of His glory. 
And so when we look at these verses and we look at salvation, we see all three persons of the Trinity. And without the, the triune God, we would be lost. As we look at verses 13 uh, and 14 this morning, we're going to be concluding the, the work of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, in the life of the, of the elect believer. Harold Horner, Horner in, in his commentary, says this of this passage. He says, The Father's plan to adopt people into his family was accomplished through Jesus Christ and made a reality in them by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Having stated the Father's plan and the Son's provision, Paul now discusses the Holy Spirit's ministry to make it a reality in those who believe. As good as the plan and provision may be, it is useless unless it can be appropriated by individuals, by means of the Holy Spirit. See, it's often said that the Holy Spirit is what? The, the forgotten God. He's the one that we don't pay very much attention to, but Paul gives him this place here. And, and, and just as a reminder, I'd like to, to share a few things. The Holy Spirit is a person. It's not an it, it's not a force, as some of the cults would believe. It's a person. And I remember early in my, my Christian walk that you know, I, I would be talking, and, and sometimes I would say, it. And I, I thank God for my pastor who would tell me, it's not a it, it's a he. No, it's a person. And we see this in Acts 13 too. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. The Holy Spirit speaks. He's a person. And Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 13 and 14, he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he, you see Jesus using per, the personal pronoun he, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So, there's these pers this personal pronoun, he, that Jesus used of the Holy Spirit. And, and when you look at what the Holy Spirit does, you see that he does personal tasks. He teaches, and he guides, and he, he comforts, and he, he encourages. And he can be loved, and he can be worshipped, and he can be obeyed. But on the flip side, he can be disobeyed, and he can be grieved, and he can be lied to. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. But secondly, the Holy Spirit is God. And he's God in the same sense as, as the Father is God and the, and the Son is God. Remember Ananias and Sapphira, they had, in Acts chapter 5, they had sold a piece of property and, and they had brought the proceeds, or what le at least they said were the proceeds, to the apostles. And they lied to the apostles and they, they gave them a portion. It was, it was theirs to keep. The issue wasn't not giving it all. The issue was lying to them lying to the apostles about what they had brought. Peter says to Ananias, he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And then in verse 4, Peter says, you have not lied to man, but to God. They had lied to God. And you see, throughout Scripture, you see the, the, this idea of the Trinity being proclaimed in, in various ways. One is just through benedictions. For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. 
Paul says this, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And then when, when you look at the, the redemptive history, the scriptures declare the Holy Spirit's work in every major detail of redemptive history. I mean, beginning with the, the incarnation of Christ, when the, when the Lord was conceived, who, who does that? Who brings about that conception? Well, Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 35 says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will, will overshadow you. So it's the Holy Spirit's work there. And then we see it in, in the earthly ministry of Christ. We see that the Holy Spirit, uh, we see the Holy Spirit at his baptism where John the Baptist in, in John chapter 1, verse 32 says, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. So, so Jesus is empowered by, by the Holy Spirit throughout his life. And you see, the death, in the death of Christ, the, the, the vicarious atonement for Christ on a cross, that was done in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews 9.14 says, through the eternal spirit, Jesus offered himself without blemish to God. And you see it in, in the resurrection of Christ. See the Holy Spirit there in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, he says, uh, he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit. So again, every part of the redemptive history, you see the, the Holy Spirit spoke. And the, and the reason I'm reminding us of these things is because we should have a greater appreciation of, of who the Holy Spirit is. And we're going to see that he's the one that, that seals us, that protects our inheritance. And so we should give him praise for, for his goodness and his grace. And when we look at the Word of God, we know that it was the Holy Spirit who spoke through the men who wrote the Scripture. And it's, it's not surprising that as we come to our passage, which I'm going to read in just a second, it's not surprising that when we come to Ephesians 1, that, and Paul is discussing our, our spiritual blessings, that he walks through the Father's work and, and the Son's work and the Spirit's work. So that's my introduction. Let's go ahead and look at our passage I'm going to go ahead and read from verse 1 through verse 14. This is the word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. 
This is our passage for today. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the for sending the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to, to pay the price for our sins. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming and sealing us, for causing us to, to be born again, to, to give us a, a new life in Christ, to cause us to be new creations in Christ. Lord, we thank you for the sanctifying work that you do in our lives as, as Christians, that we would be conformed more and more in, into the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for your, uh, your guarantee of our salvation until we gain possession of it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So when we look at, at verses 13 and 14 of our passage, you can't help but see that there is a connection between our verses today, verses 13 and 14, with really the previous verses, 11 and 12, which Jeff covered last week. And verse 11 says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. And then in verse 14, it says, the Holy Spirit is the, the guarantee of, of our inheritance. And when you think about an inheritance, it's something that is passed down to you because of your relationship with, with another person. Jeff really talked about this last week. It's one of our, our spiritual blessings, that our inheritance is, is one of our spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that, that is stored up for us. And it is because of our position in God's family that we uh, gain this inheritance. And inheritance is, is something that is, is not earned, but it's gifted because of, of, of a, a relationship, because we have been adopted as sons of God. Just a, a few weeks ago, we saw one of the, the greatest worldly, I would say, inheritances pa get passed down to a, another in the death of, of Queen Elizabeth II. When she died, she passed down not only her crown to her son Charles, but she also passed down her, her fortune, which was valued at, at somewhere around $500 million. But the, the thing is, Prince Charles has his own estate, and his own estate is worth something like $1.2 billion. So... So he gets $500 million, but he has $1.2. But guess what? He has to actually pass down his estate to William. So in his gaining this new inheritance, he actually seems to get the short end of the straw, doesn't he? But brothers and sisters, our inheritance is a glorious inheritance that will never fade, and we're going we're gonna to look at that. And then... One of the things is when you look at, at Prince William, he has a son, Prince George, who is, who is nine years old. And he is looking at someday, unless he has children, he's, he's someday going to inherit $1.7 billion. Now, and this is because of, of his relationship to his father and to his grandfather. And there are others who have inherited millions because uh, they happen to be born at, in the right family at the right time, and an heir is an heir because of relationship. 
And when we look at our passage now spiritually, God has blessed us in verse 3, and He's adopted us in, in verse 5. And He did this by redeeming us by the blood of Christ in verse 7. And, and it tells us it was according to His grace, it was because of His purpose, and because of His will in verses 5, 7, 9, and 11. So when you, and so we're told that this inheritance is ours because of the, the, sealing, of, the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit. And so that brings us to, to our first point. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is found in Christ. And you see that right at the beginning of verse 11. It says, in Him. Again, we're going back to last week. In Him we have obtained. Paul, at this point, is, is probably talking about himself and those who are with him as he's writing to the Ephesians. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. And then in our passage in verse 13, it says, In Him, speaking to the Ephesians, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you see this in Him in, in verse 11 and verse 13. They referred to Jesus Christ. And you see that that's a positional truth all throughout the preceding verses. We were chosen in him in verse 4. We have redemption in him in verse 7. We have obtained an inheritance in verse 11. And we've obtained an inheritance that, and we're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit in verse 13. And so that holy, the sealing of the Holy Spirit happens because we are found in Christ Jesus. And so when you look at every one of these spiritual blessings, beginning at verse 3, they're found in Him. And this, this sealing is not by Him. I want, I want to make that clear that it's not by Him, but it's in Him. And it is because of our, our position in Christ. Positionally, we are in Christ because we have died with Christ and we have been raised with Christ and we are joint heirs with Christ. And our position, our, it's a positional relationship in Christ Jesus. So we see that. To, to be in Christ means that we're identified with Christ, that, that we have left our, our old sinful lives and fully embraced the new life in Him. To be in Christ is, is really a, a biblical description of those who are, are children of God by faith. Just go ahead and turn back a couple pages to, to Galatians chapter 3. Because I want us to see what, what Paul says there. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul gives us some insight into the phrase in Christ and what it means. He says, For in Christ you were all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. No, we're, we're in Christ Jesus because of our, our faith in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in, in Christ, he is a new creation. Being in Christ is, is by the Spirit. We, we are in Christ because we are new creations. We also read in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those for in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a, a, a great truth. I mean, do you understand the reality 
of being in Christ, that all the benefits of being in Christ we, we have are, are so glorious. You have a, a, a no condemnation status before God. That, that, and this really ties to the sealing of the Holy Spirit that, that you know, even though we, we continue at times to sin, we have this no condemnation for those who, who are in Christ Jesus. So verse 13 again says, In him you also, when you, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And that brings me to, to my second point, because the question is, what if you're not in Christ? What if you're not in Christ? What if you don't have redemption? What, what if you don't have forgiveness of sins, or you don't, aren't a possessor of every spiritual blessing? What if those things are not yours? What, what do you do? Well, Kevin told us that I'm going to preach the gospel. Well, that's what I have to do. We have to preach the gospel because it's the gospel that, that brings about hearing. And in hearing, you believe the truth of the gospel. No, you, when you heard, verse 13, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what, what this passage, sh- passage shows is God's sovereign purpose and man's responsibility. Again, going back to, to verse 11, we see this, that we, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. But then in verse 12, he says, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. See, so you have the sovereign working of God throughout this passage. You have election and, and predestination. You, but then you have preaching and you have hearing and, and you have believing. And so you see God's electing purpose and man's responsibility to believe. And I talked about that a couple weeks ago, that we can't fully grasp these truths, but we're, we're told here that it's when you heard, when you heard the gospel, you believed, because it, it is where we hear the truth. You heard Kevin earlier as he came up before communion and, and he told you this, and you'll hear it pretty much every week, won't you, that when we, when we talk to our visitors, we, we tell them that we love you. And what we say is we love you enough to tell you the truth. And we do that because it's the truth, the truth of the gospel that brings about the hearing, that brings about faith in Jesus Christ. And when we hear the truth, we hear and we learn that of, of, of our sinfulness. By hearing, we learn of, of salvation that is by grace alone, through, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone, and it's apart from anything that we have done. And by hearing, we learn about Christ and, as a crucified, risen Savior. By hearing, we get God's command to, to repent and, and to believe. So Paul, listen to what Paul calls the, he calls the gospel, the, he calls the gospel the word of truth. And, and I believe that Paul is, is trying to make a point that it's so important that, to tell the Ephesian church that, that we need to be, that they need to be people of the truth. And they need to care about the truth, and, and not to care about truth is, is really not to care about what God says. I mean, we see this in our, 
in our culture, this whole idea of, of, of relativism, whatever you want to believe is, is what you believe. And, but what we see is, is by rejecting the truth, we, we see a, a rejection of, of God. Now, to love God is, is to love truth, and, and being God-centered in life means being tr- uh, truth-centered in our lives. And the reason why Christians are, are so concerned, I, be, I believe, about the truth is because God is truth. God the Father is truth, according to John chapter 7, verse 28. Jesus says, he who sent me is true. You see that Jesus is the truth in John 14, 6, when he says about himself, I'm the way and the truth and the life. You see that the Spirit is truth. Jesus said in John 16, 13, but, but when he, the, the Spirit of, the tr- of truth comes, he will guide you in, into all the truth. So every member of of the Trinity, every member of the Godhead is, is truth. And when you come to the Word of God, this Word that, that we proclaim to you, we see that it is the truth. Jesus says in John 17, 17, He says, Sanctify them in, in the truth. Your Word is truth. And so it's, it's by believing the, the truth of the gospel that, that brings about salvation, trusting in Christ for what, for what He has done. But it's not only believing the truth of the gospel, it's, it's continuing in the truth of the gospel. Because the Holy Spirit sanctifies us in the truth of the gospel. You know, we, we often think, oh, how does, how does reading the Word really do anything? No, it, it, it's, the Holy Spirit uses the Word of the gospel in, in the Bible to sanctify us in truth. And Christianity is grounded. Christianity is grounded on, on being really a, a faith of the truth. And so when we look at other world religions, we, we know, as Christians, what? That they're false. That they're a lie. Or they're a distortion of the truth. But what we stand on is, is Christianity, is, is the gospel that is the truth. I have a coworker of mine that will often come to me, and she's not a believer, and she'll come to me and she'll... She'll want to tell me something that she read that was encouraging to her, some sort of, some sort of like, you know, 12-step item or something, and she, because she, I think she wants to be somewhat spiritual in my eyes, and she'll come and, and she'll tell me, well, I read this little, this little thing, and, and I really liked it. What do you think? And, and she'll read it, and I'll have to tell her what? Is that the truth? No, it's, it's not the truth. I don't have to tell her that. It's not the truth. It may make you feel good. But if it's not the truth, it, it's to be rejected. No. But what happens is when we come and, you know, when we hear the word, it, it, it changes us. God moves on the mind of, a, of the unbeliever, and he, he convinces them of, our, of their sinful condition. And the, the truth of, of Christ's work, and this happens as we proclaim the truth of the gospel. And so if, if you are, are here today and, and you're hearing the gospel being proclaimed, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would work in such a way to illuminate you so that you would know the truth of the gospel, that this glorious truth that, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And so Paul says... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, you know, the, 
the gospel had, had been preached to the Ephesians. That gospel that, that, that Paul proclaimed to, to every church that, that he went to, that gospel that, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And when you think about Paul, Paul, according to Acts 20, Paul, he spent three years in Ephesus. And Acts 20 says that he was teaching and he was admonishing them with, with tears. Teaching and admonishing. He wasn't, he wasn't telling them all that they could get out of this life. He wasn't telling them, you know, what, what to, to put our hope in the, in the treasures of this earth. No, he was teaching and admonishing them with tears. And, and when he would preach the gospel to, to the Ephesians, they, they believed. They believed. And I think this is so important because we can get caught up in thinking that we, we need something more. We need some other program or we need some other message or some other method. Listen to what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. And just a note that Timothy is in Ephesus at this time. And so Paul is writing to Timothy, who's, the, who's a young pastor in Ephesus. And he, he says this, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. Those are, that's strong words, Right? I charge you. It's not, you know, I want you. It's not, this is not my recommend, you know, my recommendation. No, this is a charge you. I charge you in the presence of God. And then he says this, who is the judge of the living and the dead? What's his point? Timothy, God is going to judge us for what, for what we do. He's the judge of the living and the dead. And he says this, preach the word. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's not always easy to continue to preach the gospel, but it is the power of God for salvation that every, to everyone who believes. It's not... It's not sub-ministries. Other ministries are, are good. It's good to feed the poor. But if it's without the preaching of the gospel, it's nothing that, but something that makes us feel good. If it does nothing for the soul of the unbeliever. The truth is, people are not going to always want to hear it. I mean, Paul goes on in 2 Timothy, he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. They're going to want something different than sound teaching, something other than sound teaching. But having itching ears, they, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to, to suit their own passions. You know, and they will turn away from listening to the truth. Now that just because people don't want to listen to the truth doesn't mean we don't tell them the truth. No, we have to continue to, to, to preach the truth because, as I said, uh, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the gospel is enough for people to, to come to saving faith? 
No. And the Ephesians heard the gospel and, and they believed. And that is true of every single person who the, here that is a Christian. I remember the day that I became a Christian, the, the day that I put my faith and trust in Christ. I remember the Holy Spirit's work in convicting me of my sin during the preaching of His Word. So we've seen that the sealing of the Holy Spirit is found in Christ, and the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit comes through belief in the truth. But thirdly, the, the sealing of the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance. It's the guarantee. In verse 14, he says, who, the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And the thing about inheritance is we don't really receive the full benefit of our inheritance right away. And the promise of an inheritance is made because the position that, that we held because we, of our relationship. But that promise is not fulfilled immediately. You have, you have to wait for it. And, you know, I spoke earlier of Prince Charles. You think about it, he had to wait. He had to wait. Prince William, his son, had, had to wait. Prince George, his son, ha has to wait until that gift is bestowed in the future, but, but, it, but it's his, positionally, until we acquire possession of it. We, we don't have the full benefit now, but someday we will acquire possession of it. And often, I think, it, it, as people, as, as humans, we, we, we often worry about losing our, our inheritance, our earthly inheritances, Wills can be changed. You know, over the years, on a personal level, I, I have received various inheritance, inheritances. My, I, I've re received an inheritance from my mother, from my grandmother, from my great aunt. But truthfully, I, I haven't received all that was, was promised me. I, wasn't, I didn't receive all that was promised me because in, in an earthly sense, we know that, that wills can be changed. People can do things that, so that you don't get what you deserve or maybe what you don't deserve. No. Because in this life, there is, there, there is no guarantee. I mean, we can have a hope for an inheritance and what we can, we can pass away before we ever get that earthly inheritance. But that's not... The way it is with our, our heavenly inheritance. It, it, it's not that way with God. He, it's His will to, to carry it out to the, to the believer. And so when a, a person hears the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, and that person trusts in Jesus Christ and believes the gospel, they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. They are sealed with, with the Holy Spirit. And, and, and a seal is an identifying mark that in the ancient world was placed on a, on a letter or a, a contract or a, a, a document. And often, you know, it was maybe wax and, and a ring, and, and they put the wax and they, they would seal it, and it would show uh, possession, who this letter was from. And the ancient world, often they would put a seal on cattle or, or slaves by branding them to show who they belonged to. And in the Old Testament, God set his sign on his chosen ones, to, to mark them out or set them apart as a possession and to keep them from destruction in Ezekiel chapter 9. And then we read in Revelation chapter 7 verse 3 that, that God places a seal on his people to identify them and protect them from wrath. 
you know, if we put these, these ideas together, we see that in the scriptures, a seal communicates ownership. It, it, it communicates protection and, and a validation of, of the relationship. But what is the seal in Ephesians 1? Look at, look at Ephesians 1 again, verse 13. It's, it's not a what, but a who. You were sealed not by, but with the promised Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is the, the Christian seal. He, he, is, he is the pledge. He seals his people. God's own Spirit comes to indwell the, the, the believer, and the promised Holy Spirit identifies uh, God's people as his inheritance. And the experience of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life is, is proof to them. This, it, it gives us assurance and a, a demonstration to others of the genuineness of our faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17 says this, But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with, with our spirit that we are children of God. Is that true of you? Does the Holy Spirit bear witness to you that, that you are a, ch- are a child of God? Do you understand what, what that means, that, that the Holy Spirit in, indwells you and encourages you and convicts you of sin? The, the Holy Spirit brings about bearing fruit in your life. The Holy Spirit comforts you. I mean, if you were without those truths, the question is, are you sealed? It goes on in verse 17. And if children and heirs, heirs of God and, and fellow heirs with Christ... So the seal of our inheritance is the Holy Spirit. He is our, our guarantee. And what that means is that, that, that our salvation, our inheritance is, is secure, it's guarded, it, it's kept in heaven for us. As I said, you know, I, I had an inheritance, and, and I didn't get all of that inheritance, even though it was in the will that I should get it. But it is God's will that we're concerned about. And in God's will, we have a guarantee that we will, that is kept in heaven for us. I mean, look over at 1 Peter. Look over at 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. And I want you to notice, as I read this, the, the similarities to, to our passage in, in Ephesians. Verse 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the same thing as Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 3. He goes on, According to His great mercy, according again, to His sovereign grace, He has caused us to be born again, being born again by the Spirit, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. I mean, aren't those, aren't those amazing truths about our inheritance? That, that they are imperishable. I mean, every part of our inheritance that we get on earth is decaying. We can't store up our treasures here on earth, can we? I mean, Jesus says what? Store up your treasures in heaven where, where moth and rust do not destroy 
where thieves cannot break in and steal. And so we're, we're, we're to store our treasure in heaven because there it's imperishable. The second thing Peter says is it's undefiled. What we have in Christ is free from anything that would defile it. You know, if you inherit a house, what does it get? It gets termites. That's a guarantee, isn't it? <laughs> it gets mold. It gets dry rot. It's the second law of thermodynamics, right? Entropy, right? It's, it's breaking down. If you're a homeowner, you know that. If you're a renter, sometimes you need to be thankful that you're a renter. Your landlord gets to take care of that. No, we, our, our, the things that we receive on earth are all, are all become defiled at some point. Third thing Peter says is it's unfading. If you, if, if you inherit a car, what happens? It rusts. The paint fades. But our inheritance is unfading. It's, it's enduring. Thirdly, it's kept in heaven for you. It's guarded. It's reserved. It's kept in heaven for you. And, and, you're, and just think about this, that you know, we're going to receive crown someday. We're going to receive this crown of glory and, and by which we're identified in, in Christ. And although we enjoy so many blessings as children of God here on earth, our true home, our true inheritance is kept in heaven for us. And the Old Testament saints understood this, and you really read about this in Hebrews chapter 11, where these, these saints of old, they were, well, says they were looking what to, they did not receive it here on earth, but they were looking to a, to a heavenly one. They acknowledged that they were, they were strangers and exiles on the earth. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. That's our attitude. Not to be so self-focused on what we can inherit now, but what we have inherited, what is guaranteed for us, what is stored up for us. No, the, these Old Testament saints, they knew their inheritance was kept for heaven in them. And so when we go back to, to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 uh, through 14, you see this, this theme of God's blessing us, God's electing us, God's saving us, God's sealing us. The sealing is found in, in Christ. The, the sealing of the Holy Spirit comes through belief in the truth. And the sealing of the Holy Spirit is, is the guarantee of our inheritance. And I, I, I like what Derek Thomas said. He says, it's signed, sealed, and delivered. I'm yours. <laughs> he gave acknowledgement to Stevie Wonder. Signed, sealed, delivered, I'm yours. Now that's someday we will acquire possession of it. That brings us to the last point, our application. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is to the praise of His glory. And this is really the, the bottom line. It says, again, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, verse 14, until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. As I was studying for this sermon, I was trying to think, knowing that I would probably be running out of time. I was trying to think of what I would say in this last point. If you go back and you look at Ephesians chapter 3, or Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 through 14, you see it at each point, Paul, at the end of the first point where Paul is giving uh, praise to the Father, and then he, he gives praise to the Son. We see that, 
that he gives praise to the Holy Spirit for his work here. And as I was studying, I was trying to think of, of what to say in this section. And, and honestly, I was, I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm speechless about what to say that, that what Paul says is, is enough. It's to the praise of, of his glory. It's humbling. It's amazing. It's the truth. That God has given us so many things in Christ. He has, he has elected us. He has predestined us. He has adopted us. He has redeemed us. He has, he has saved us. He's forgiven us. He's given us an inheritance. And he's guaranteed that inheritance by, by the sealing of, of the Holy Spirit. And so what more can we say is, except thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus Christ. As Jeff said last week, for, for lavishing on us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for sealing us. And I just want to encourage us that when we pray, we, we pray to, to a trying God, and we can, we can approach God the Father and say, Father, help me, and we can come to the Son, and we say, Jesus Christ, thank you for coming and, and saving me. And we can pray to the Holy Spirit, you know, fill me and empower me. Thank you for sealing me. And when we come to this, the end of this text, we can't say anything except to the praise to the praise of your, your glory. I just want to end with a song that, or a couple of verses from the song we're going to sing. It's my, my life is an offering. And I, and I think this is the response for us as believers when, when we come to a place like this. What, what can we do? Well, obviously we can give him praise, but we can also love him and, and serve him. And it says this, this life is an altar where I want to offer my soul and my mind and strength. I'm cleansed by your mercy to live a life worthy of the one who called my name. How could I not love you? You authored my rescue. Raise me up from death to life. Your spirit is in me revealing your glory. Oh, what a joy as I give my life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your election and your adoption. And Jesus Christ, we thank you for your redemption. Holy Spirit, we thank you for sealing us. Lord, we thank you that you have given us the, the hope of our inheritance. And Lord, we as we, as we wait for the day that we will acquire it, Lord, we, we give you praise and glory because of your goodness. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name, amen.